Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Mark. Oh, that was a nice greeting. Thank you very, very, very much. Um, we have been in a series. Uh, if you've been here um, in the past 11 weeks, you've uh, been part of this series, uh, Together We Can, where we are really looking at the components of a healthy, biblical, um, biblically functioning community. What, what are those nuts and bolts things? Those of us who are followers of Christ, those of us who are part of um, our local church, what are our responsibilities? And we've talked about conflict and truth-telling and encouragement and all of these kind of things. Uh, last week, uh, we talked about kind of the concentric circles of intimacy. Um, we looked at the model of Christ, of uh, how he had his inner three people that he was really close-knit with, and he had the 12 who he uh, did life with and, and uh, really knew and was invested in. Then he had the 72 who uh, he knew, but uh, there was less intimacy as the previous two, and then there was everyone. And uh, last week we um, started kind of a mini-series within the series of making room for one more. And, and we were talk, I talked about that first part, the concentric circles of intimacy, to, to bring context to uh, what, we are, what we are speaking about today, of really making room for one more. And before we can do that, we need to really be intentional in understanding what is our real emotional capacity. Now, the truth is that, that in a room this size, many of us are in extremely different places. Some of us are completely overwhelmed and, and saturated in, in relationships, and we don't feel like we have any capacity for any more. And there's others of us who are extremely lonely. And how we bring all this together and try to understand, you know, what, how are we intentional and in how we approach relationships? Who are the people who are meant to be the closest to us? And what's our responsibility to others? Now today, we're really talking about how do we expand those concentric circles? How, how, how in our church community, which our purpose is to make mature and mobilize fully devoted followers of Christ to allow people to come into our community, how do, we, how do we do that? How do we intentionally do that? Now, the reality is that most churches, or I, I would almost say, uh, be so bold to say all churches, um, the longer they exist, the more inward focused they become. And the more inward focused they become, the harder it is for someone to come into that community. Even if somebody who, who, who would fit well and someone who would thrive in a certain church community, there's just something that, that a community draws closer and closer and closer together. The reality is uh, they eventually uh, grow so close that, that they like explode and you have like the big bang theory and then you got church plants and all sorts of kind of good things going on there. Uh, but, but that's not the intention. The intention is to have this radical inclusiveness 
that, that Christ had. Maybe not on the intimacy level, and that's why we talked about that last week, but, but Christ died for all. That God so loved the world that there's this, this inclusiveness, this, this inclusiveness idea in the very nature and being of God that He loves. But even though we're made in His image, in our core, in our fallen place, we're not so much like that, are we? In fact, I think we're probably more like a middle school or elementary probably uh, recess field. Where, I don't know if you can put yourself back in, in elementary and recess would happen. And you'd all go scurrying out on the field, right? And there would be like this big jelly ball. Remember jelly balls? Okay. <laughs> no one remembers jelly. It's like, it's like a soccer ball, but it's like jelly. Yeah, I mean, it's like squishy. Thank you. All right. Well, and uh, that's, well, they basically, you could kick them farther and, and things like that. It's actually not important. <laughs> and uh, I just thought there would be like a, you know, a shared experience there. But one thing that uh, we do have a shared experience is like in kickball, which I play with a jelly ball, but obviously you guys play with something else, uh, that, that, there would come the time of the dreaded team picking, right? Right? And who were the team captains? The popular kids, the cool, the cool kids. Any of those cool kids here today? No, just kidding. Uh, yes, okay, cool. I, I was not one of the cool, cool kids, or at least not in the, the upper echelon. And, and in elementary school, you... To find out what the social pecking order is in that elementary school, you do not have to go farther than the recess field with the kickball and the team picking. Because we all know that the most popular kids, you split them up, those are the two team captains. And then they start picking people. Now, depending on where you landed in the social pecking order is, is where you got picked. And I always remember, and I, I was never the team captain, and, and very rarely was I the first picked. I was usually probably, you know, third or fourth down the line, and this is how it would happen. And maybe you fell along the somewhere along the line. That that the first you know team captains all right everybody you know you know Ben and Sally or Jack and Sally are going to be the team captains and they start picking and this is what's going on inside at least for me when they were picking I'd be like oh please don't let me be last nobody wants to be the last person I I want to be I want to be picked one you know in the top three or 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 at least the the top four and and you never really knew where you stood because in elementary school it was just kind of like on a on a whim that like you know maybe they were mad at you or you know 
elementary students aren't known for the, you know, their, their emotional maturity. So you never really know exactly where you stood in there. And they'd start picking people and you'd sit there and go, oh, I didn't get picked there. Then they would pick another. And your anxiety would, would grow. And, and saying, oh, you know, I, I just want to be acknowledged. I, I wanted to be accepted. So you're, you're standing over there. And then finally, at least for, for me, it was like the third or fourth person. And they go, Mark. I go, oh, yes. And this is what happened. This, seriously, I'd, I'd walk over there. And just the mere walking over to the picked side, it changed everything. Then I started to become the, the judge. And I'm like, don't pick Sally. She's a loser. And, and, and Bobby smells bad. Don't get him. And everything. And you just start. Isn't it weird just how different you feel from being on the unpicked to the picked. And it makes all the difference in the world. And we kind of jump, you know, a, a few decades, maybe less for some of you, maybe more, uh, from, from the high school recess picking PE class, not PE class, elementary school. Victor, come on, man. Is it really important? <laughs> elementary school to where we are today, where Victor is heckling me from the front row. Uh, that, uh, that, that people, we have this community, that, that we have relationships, we, we have the picked. And some of us here today still feel like we're the unpicked. Or then we go and, and we take even a step farther back and we think about people who, who are coming in for the, the first time today. Maybe today is the first time you're here. And I commend you for being here because I know it is not easy to walk into an established community. And by you doing that, that communicates something to me. It communicates that, that you are seeking something. You are seeking that you're seeking hopefully God and, and who He wants, what He wants for you in, in your life, that maybe hopefully you're seeking community, you're, you're, you're uh, seeking accountability and help and encouragement and all these kinds of things. That's when somebody's fresh walking in here. But the rest of us, a lot of us, we, we've already found that. And what happens is there, there's a gap between the two. There's a gap between kind of the picked, the people who are on the team, and the gap between people who are, are seeking to, to be included. And that really is one of the most awful feelings in the world, especially if it gets down to, to the point where you're the last person and the team captains are arguing over who has to take you. Poor Susie's sitting there and, and saying, you take Susie and I'll give you five points too if you take her. Or, or things like that where this negotiation process is going on and it just kills. You see, not in, hopefully not here in our church, but just human nature is we're not much different 
removed from the elementary playing field than we are now. That we, in our workplaces and unfortunately in our churches, and we, we still have this, this subtle hierarchy of these things. But that's not how God approached it whatsoever. That, that there was a different approach to hospitality and inclusiveness. That, that Christ came for all, and us who are followers of Christ must intentionally go out and accept and love people. Now, if you look at Scripture, it's, it's very difficult to get a handle on, on inclusiveness and hospitality. A lot of times when we think about hospitality, we think about having friends over, right? Or family and people close to us and we serve them and and things like that. But that's really not a biblical understanding of hospitality. When the Bible talks about hospitality, it usually means or does mean it's uh, about strangers. In fact, the Greek words that are used uh, come down to the definition of a lover of strangers, Hospitality is, is loving people and, and serving people and, and inviting people into your life who are not part of your normal circle of friends. That much we do know when we look at Scripture. We also see that in the ancient Near East, especially in the first century, that there was a carefully choreographed dance between host and guest. And to understand kind of where we are and to understand Scripture a little bit better of of times that people are interacting in a party situation, I think it's imperative that we kind of look at, at what they did and what were some of the elements of being a host and being a guest in the ancient Near East. So if you open up your Bibles in Luke chapter 7, we have a great illustration of when Jesus was a guest. Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come to his home for a meal. So Jesus was invited. So Jesus accepted the invitation and sat down to eat. A certain immoral woman heard he was there and brought a beautiful jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee, who was the host, saw what was happening and who the woman was, he said to himself, This proves that Jesus is no prophet. If God had really sent him, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus spoke up. And answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. All right, teacher, Simon replied, go ahead. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he'd canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. 
Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss of greeting, but she has kissed my feet again and again from the first time I came in. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and there are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. You guys pray with me. Dear God, as we unwrap this uh, story, let us just uh, feel the weight of what it means to be a great host, great guest, what it means to be accepted and loved, what that looks like in your church. Just guide us from where we are to where you've envisioned us to be. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in this, in this account of, of what happens, there's a lot of social nuances going on. You see, in the ancient Near East, there were three uh, kind of stages that somebody would go through from becoming a stranger to being a friend. The, the first stage was a recept, uh, was to test the stranger. To put some sort of test um, in front of them. That there were kind of established things. One, the first and easiest, if you were nomadic and, or you were a traveling salesman or something like that, you got to understand, when you went from town to town, you were coming in, there was, there was no background checks, there wasn't internet, you were just some random person coming in, and the city didn't know if you meant them you know, harm or good or who you were, if you were a spy from an invading Enemies, so there was this well-choreographed dance between a new person and, and the city or, or the community that they were coming into. And the easiest way was that the person would have a letter from somebody they already knew and trusted. That, that was always good. Or there were, were other things that, that they could do that before that they were invited to be their guest, that they would try to determine, was this person... Friend or foe. The next thing was that they would try to move them from a stranger to a guest. And in the ancient Near East, that there were several different things, several different responsibilities that the, the guest had and several responsibilities that the host had to determine if this person was going to be accepted into that community. The responsibility of a guest is this. A guest must honor the host, that, that the guest must never accuse or, or harm or be antagonistic to anyone who is under the roof or a guest, a fellow guest of that host. As we look through Scripture, we can see that Jesus was in every way the perfect guest in the culture and time that, that he was at. 
You know, he, what was one of the things that Jesus was often criticized for? Eating with sinners, hanging out with sinners, right? That he was always, the, the Pharisees always loved to point out, you know, this guy's hanging out with sinners. This guy's eating with sinners and tax collectors and, and corrupt people. That's because Jesus had this radical inclusiveness, but it also culturally as a guest, when he was invited in, that it would have been wrong for him. It would have been a cultural kind of X to, to criticize anybody who was a fellow guest in that person's home. Also, that the guest must not take the role of the host. That, that in, in ancient Near East, that it was... It, was never acceptable for a guest to to get up and, and and serve another guest or somebody like or something like that. Also, making oneself home unless they were invited to do so. Again, when you were a guest, there was this formality to it that that you couldn't just kind of flop around and and flick on the tube and and get some you know leftovers out of the fridge and you know and sit around and and just kind of hang out that that was not acceptable uh also that uh you couldn't give orders that the authority of the home was still with the host and also that you couldn't demand what was not offered you know unlike today if i come over to your home and uh, we're hanging out, and you like have some of those uh, chocolate macadamia covered macadamia nuts from Hawaii. You know those? Yeah, yeah. You got those like tucked away on top of the fridge, like trying to hide from me or something. I notice it. See, I, I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna go, hey, pass over those things. Those are good. And everything. See, that would not have been cool. It's probably not cool now, but I don't care because, but. Uh, uh, you know, those things are, those things are awesome. Steve-O's laughing because he knows it's true. <laughs> and, uh, but we're getting to the stage where we're at soon. So uh, <laughs> then there's the responsibility of the host, Steve-O. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, one, the, the host is never to insult their guests. That they're, they're n- never uh, meant to... Uh, bring just disgrace on them in any way. They're also meant to, to protect their guests at any cost. This is in the ancient Near East. You know, and that, that even if it costs you dearly, it kind of, one story in the Bible that for us Westerners are, is very hard for us to kind of swallow is when Lot, uh, all those people were at, uh, coming, surrounding Lot's house, and he, he had uh, some guests there, and they, they were yelling, send them out so we can have sex with them. And, and he's like, no, I will not allow you to take my guests. Take my daughter instead. And in our hearts, in our stomachs, mine too, are, are just like, we want to... We want to just be ill at that thought. But this is how firmly entrenched this was. That, that you know what, if you were a guest at somebody's house in, in the ancient Near East, that, that they would give up their life for you. They, uh, uh, a host would always 
Always show concern for the needs. Also offer the best that they had. And they would try to earn the, earn the goodwill of the person who's the guest. Remember, this is not a friend. This is somebody who's just been invited in. That they are no longer a stranger, but they are just a guest. Now, we just kind of looked at this, and, and let's think back to the story that we were just talking about. You know what? Jesus was this perfect guest, but Simon the Pharisee, he was a horrific host. And Jesus points it out after he kind of turns against him. He says, look, when I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. You didn't give me a kiss. You neglected me olive oil. All of these things that would have been customary for a guest of honor to show. So the next stage in, in ancient Near East of, of somebody going from a stranger to a guest is to take them from being a guest into either being a friend or an enemy. A friend or an enemy. After all of these things have happened. And you think about this and, and you may be sitting there and saying, all right, Mark, you know what? You know, if for some reason I ever find myself, you know, in the first century in the ancient Near East and I get invited over for dinner, I know what to do. Great. Thanks a lot. You know, real life changing. Well, it is life changing. And it may not be the specific things that, that were kind of the rules of the day. But one thing that is life changing is the intentionality that happened. That, that they intentionally moved somebody from being a stranger to being a guest, and then finally to determining if they are a friend or an enemy. And you know what I think one of the biggest things that, that the American church as a whole lacks is the intentionality of how do we invite people in? How do we love them? How do we take them from being a stranger to being a guest? How do we take them from being a guest to determine if this is the place where, where God has called them that they are going to enrich our community? And that's one thing that I think is we strive to be a biblical, healthy, functioning church is we need to get in our minds how we are going to intentionally allow people make room for one more person. You know, I, I was thinking about just some examples of what some people do here already, and it just shows great just intentionality. That I know that some people will... will pass by open parking spots when they drive in. And they'll park farther back so there's open parking for someone who's a guest. That I know that there, there are people who, who intentionally kind of uh, look for new people just to, to just say hello and to connect with them. One thing that I've seen on occasion, but I'd like to see more often, I, it seems like every Sunday, especially when we're all 
standing up. It's kind of dark in here, and, and somebody new will walk in. And we all know when a new person walks in, they all have the same look on their face. Uh, that they'll sit there and they'll stand in, at the door. And literally, when we're all standing up and they're looking in, it doesn't look like there's any room in this place. And Unfortunately, several times I've seen people turn around and walk out and, and like it's everything in me not to jump out of my chair and like chase them down, but I figure that would probably cause more harm than good. And, but you know what? I think intentionally part of our culture it should be. It's like we see somebody looking around that, you know what, part of our worship, part of our bringing glory to God is to make sure that people who are really going through a lot to come into a new community. It's hard to do. That they went through all the effort to get here and to walk through the door, to allow them to leave at that point is a, is a real travesty. It's just, it just a, that extra, that last little bit of one of us just saying, you know what, welcome. Here, there's a seat by me, or, or there's always seats back there for some reason, and, uh, and here, have our best seat in the back of the house, you know, uh, but, but making room for one more. You know, I know that there's people who, who take pride in, in helping people go and get their first, you know, cup of red-eye coffee here, and I always think that's really exciting to, to do that. I know that others have, have kind of made it their ministry that no one you know, sits by themselves. Uh, I mean, if they want to sit by themselves, they can, but at least they're asked. I mean, we don't force people to sit with us, but, but you know what, that if they see somebody sitting by themselves, go, go, hey, you know, you knew here, you want to sit with me or things like that. I also know that there's people who are in the habit, and this is biblical, in the habit, inviting people out to eat after, after the gathering, just to connect with somebody, you know, show hospitality. That, that the reality is if we're not intentional in making room for one more, then by default, we are excluding people who are seeking. People are literally, I mean, why do people walk through the door? I mean, just, I mean if we just take a second to think about it, somebody walks through that door, why are they here for the first time? I mean, they're, they're here hopefully to seek out who God is and what He wants for their life. Maybe they're, they're seeking community and, and relationships. But they've come to the right place, but we just need to say, you know what? As part of our worship, that, that in part of our bringing glory to God is we're going to bring glory to God in making room for one more, inviting them in. Does that mean everybody has to be in your inner circle? No. But what it does mean is that our acceptance and our love can radically change the course of their life, their eternal life. It also can change the course of our, of our church because we never know who God is going to bring. And every time we include and we love as God loves, a life is changed. I very rarely do this, but after the or during the first gathering, when I sat down, a few minutes later, somebody in our community came up with a with a poem. 
and gave it to me. I'm going to read it to you um, because I just thought it was really cool. She wrote the poem from the perspective of the, the woman who Christ accepted. It's titled Presence. You came to dine with a holy man, a man of the temple, a man whose holiness I shook with my presence. My humble gifts were all that I had, a jar of seduction, my veil of hair, and the tears from my eyes. After standing behind you, I offered it all to you, all I had. My tears to wash your weary feet, my hair to wipe off the dust from your travels, and my fragrance to lift your heavy heart. You lifted me up that day from my life of sorrow. You washed my pain away You wiped my sins from my soul and lifted me to a place of honor and humility. I gave you all I had. You gave me back all that had been thrown away. You restored me to myself and redeemed me to this day. She came to that house Seeking Jesus. And seeking Jesus, she found who God had designed and created her to be. Something beautiful. Something special. Someone worth dying for. When people come to our church, they are also seeking Jesus. And we can be like Simon the Pharisee. We can call them what they are. Or it can be like Jesus and love them for who He created them to be. Let's pray. Dear God, I just thank You for this place, this place with its hopefully radical inclusiveness. I just pray that we can follow You, that we will be able to see past the mistakes of people's past and just love them because You love them and accept them because You've accepted them. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.